You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Fuck you if you disagree. <laughs> you know, I could have gone like, poor, poor thing sitting on the table. <laughs> I'm going to watch it again when I'm able. Well, you should see Marco's face right now. This should be video. He is in pain. <laughs> I, I am trying to be polite, you poor thing. <laughs> when are you ever polite to me? There I was that one time. I appreciate your... Let's not forget that one time, Chris. I appreciate your lack of propriety. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're reviewing the new Yorgos Lanthimos film, who is quickly turning into one of my favorite directors. And I get it. You might be one of those people out there who's like, well, I like the favorite, but I didn't even understand the lobster and the killing of a sacred deer. I was like, what's up with these movies? Oh, I'm watch like, Dog Tooth. I'm like, or Dog Tooth even. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I get it. But I have always liked directors that can pull off the surreal and make it work oh yeah those movies are never going to be for just anyone weirdly as absolutely strange and wackadoodle that as poor (laughs) things is it's not the same kind of weird he was doing before no i mean if you look at the favorite which was kind of his big breakout into the mainstream if you want to even call it that that was kind of a work for hire, but he made it his own. That was a yeah. script that someone else wrote. In this case, he worked on the script, but it's based on a novel. And you're right. He's got such a distinct vision. This is kind of like, I kept thinking after we talked about it, what did this remind me of? In a weird way, it reminds me of David Lynch's uh, Elephant Man. It's like, here's a guy who's really weird and doing his own thing. But you give him a kind of conventional story and watch what he does with it, and he twists it into something memorable. And yeah. this is actually scripted by the same guy who scripted The Favorite, weirdly. Yep. I would never have guessed that, because it doesn't feel like the same type of movie at all. It doesn't feel like his previous works. It feels like... It only feels like it because it has a lot of the same shots, like a lot of the, the big wide shots. And Well, it, no, he's doing some of that, but there's also so many different types of cinematography going on. Oh, here. yeah. If anything, I'm reminded more of the works of director Guy Madden when I'm watching this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Guy Madden a little bit of Wes Anderson in terms of its color palette and, you know, maybe late and artificiality. Yeah. But it's Good still its own thing. We're throwing... He, look, rule of thumb is if you have to list a bunch of other directors or films to kind of describe the one you just watched, you know you're dealing with something singular because all you can do is try to compare it to something else and never quite come to the mark. Uh, So if I just scared you with like all those other descriptions, please know that this is nothing like those movies. No, and it's really, like you said, you see touches of it, but it is its own thing. And I, I would like to start this by saying, I was talking to my GM at work about this and who's a big film buff himself. 
and I was like, I think this might be my favorite movie this year. And I think it actually has a strong shot at a bunch of Oscars. But regardless, I think it's the best one. He's like, you really, you think that you liked it better than like Oppenheimer and stuff like that? I'm like, like, you think it's a better film? And I was like, I think by the nature of it being something so wildly different than anything else you've seen, that makes it a better film because it does have the quality as well. But when we saw Oppenheimer, you're like, I've seen movies like Oppenheimer. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. kind of a conventional film in some ways. It's just an exquisitely crafted one. This is not like something you've seen before. No, it's, it, it's, it's very like, yeah, we could just pull it all these directors compared to, but <laughs> it's so unique. And, and just even like, even just the little, the little decisions they make with the designs, and the background characters and everything. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I thought of it like it, it, it it kind of felt to me like as if um, it felt like a Stanley Kubrick movie if he tripped on a whole bunch of acid. <laughs> Which he definitely did at points. I mean, that that's called the Stargate sequence, Mike. <laughs> that's, oh, that's, true, yeah. that, that's, that's Stanley Kubrick's idea of acid. But, you know, I mean, we haven't even talked about the plot, yeah. which is another sign that you're dealing with something singular, because how do you boil it down to a well, plot? I, I've been describing it to people like, imagine Frankenstein, but Dr. Frankenstein never made the original monster. Instead, he just made Bride of Frank- Frankenstein and everything's kind of okay and See, he's like you know what you're getting you're you're like starting to figure shit out i feel like it's okay for you to go out and discover the world on your own well, and it's kind of the story of bride of frankenstein if she never had to say get that fucking other thing away from me <laughs> i mean it, it, you know it, well you know if it's if it's awful in your mouth why don't you just spit it out uh that's a line for the uh but, but it actually reminded me of it actually reminded me of Frankenstein. If he were a professor, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. When we meet Willem Dafoe, he is, if you've seen the trailers, you know that his face is just scarred up. He's, he's looks deformed. like he's been patched together. He and as we find out, like he a, has had a lot of experiments done on himself over the years. And he <laughs> that's has, like, that's a running joke of the film. He talks about like, you know, my, my father did this to me. My father right. did that to Which me. Which in my mind, right. his father is always a Victor Frankenstein type yeah. character. But yeah. when we meet him, he's a respected professor, but everyone in this small, like English, uh, well, they're in London. It's, but you know, it's like 19, late 19th early 20th century and he's a professor and he's living with uh, a woman played by emma stone who bella bella and all we know about her is that you know she's she can barely talk she's physically uncoordinated she moves around like a child she's basically i mean well she's yeah she basically is like this experiment that he's been working on and as we find out uh, it's not a spoiler. The very first shot of the film is a woman throwing herself off a bridge. Yeah. And, and he has found her, reanimated her, and is now... But like Chris said, after a certain amount of time, instead of being controlling, he's paternal towards her. And he says, you know, I love you, and you, but, you know, even though I don't want you to go, I feel... I understand that you need to get out of this house, and you need to live and experience the world. And I'm going to let you do that. And it's kind of her journey to, to become a kind of a fully functioning adult. Yeah. And she's evolving from this child mind to a teenager, to an adult, right. but in a very different, in not a traditional path because she's not a traditional person. I mean, she's discovering her sexuality when she's for all extents and purposes, like five in yeah. her mind. Right. And like, cause she's got a body of a full grown woman. Right. So she feel has the hormones and all those feelings. So it's a very different path. Plus 
all her life experience is from a complete atheist rationalist who only thinks of things in terms of science. Right. We also have to point out that uh, Defoe's character is named Godwin Baxter, and her affectionate name for him is God. God. Is God. She literally calls him God. He yeah. is her creator. Whatever she was before, it's gone now. Weirdly, this is kind of a sci-fi sex comedy is the best yeah. way to describe it. Yeah. Because her reason initially for leaving is that like, wow, I kind of want to fuck. Uh, and I'm kind of enjoying this. Like at first it's like the, the new assistant, uh, uh, to the, the doctor, Max played by Rami Youssef comes in and he's a little, I, I was like, the movie is in a not our world sort of feel. So it's like, you don't get the whole, like you don't have to go down the rabbit hole. It's really creepy that this guy is kind of into her, that despite it being Emma, Emma Stone, uh, you're like, okay, but she, you know, she's got the mind of a child and he's like willing to marry her and everything. And the doctor's into the idea, but then somebody comes into their life played delightfully sleazily <laughs> by Mark, Ruffalo. by Mark Ruffalo. Oh my God. He is so good. Who basically just steals her. I'm going to take her. You, sneak out and you're, you're gonna come with me and we're gonna travel around the world we're gonna have an adventure and we're gonna fuck like rabbits <laughs> and they do i mean <laughs> hey look ladies if you like some mark ruffalo you're gonna see a lot of mark ruffalo in this it's you're right chris in that it doesn't come up i actually disagree slightly i think it is intentionally a little creepy because yeah. the assistant the the creepy thing is the assistant definitely has some feelings for her <laughs> And the creepy part is when uh, the doctor says, you know, I'll let you marry her in exchange for you're going to just basically be a researcher. You're going to note everything she does, everything she says. We're going to track her development. This is perfect. You get to be my research assistant and her husband, the husband she needs. And the assistant's taken aback because he says, well, I just assumed you were grooming her for your wife. Right. And he acknowledges that, well, you know, I mean, yeah, she's attractive, but, but I can't at, get it up look anymore. At this <laughs> I literally can't do it anymore. And my feelings are more paternal. And, and he's true to that. He's Willem Dafoe is the most horrific looking person in this. And he's also kind of the kindest, nicest person in yeah. it. Despite the whole, you know, the obvious horrificness of, his crimes against nature, yes. if you will. I mean, the house is filled with uh, like exper- experiments, like like a, a chicken with the head of a pig and yeah, stuff like that. It's like know? that Simpsons bit, like, I should not be. You know, yeah. it's like, it, it, it's definitely, he's definitely given off uh, uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it was very Dr. Moreau. But um, he has to sign a contract with the assistant, which brings in the lawyer played by Mark Ruffalo. And he's like, I got to find out who this woman is that, you know, I'm drawing this contract up for. And as soon as they see each other, sparks fly. He's everything the assistant isn't. He's dashing. He's adventurous. He's funny. He's witty. He's highly sexually driven. And they go off and have a great adventure until, you know what? Uh, she outgrows him. She outgrows him. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the funny thing about this film. Because she so even far, tells the assistant, "I'll come back and marry you, but I'm going to go have an adventure." Yeah, first. So so far, you listening to this might think, "Okay, like this feels like it's just pure pure prurience," but it really is about. It's sort of like, God, one of those French like. 
like the story of O things in a weird <laughs> sort of way, like this woman who's going through the darkest path, but then eventually comes to understand like feminism and like, yeah. you know, uh, philosophy and things like that. Like she becomes the most intelligent person and in the movie. What do you look for in a partner when, you know, the sexual drive is over? I mean, there's multiple conversations with different characters, including an older woman she meets who's like, because basically when Bella discovers that she has a clitoris, she's like, <laughs> oh my God, you know, I can do this anytime. And it's again, it's that hormonal urge. She's going through these sort of teen emotions and you see her grow to be a woman. And that's the interesting journey for her. There's even a long period of time where she's working in a brothel well, for a while. She's, and it's what makes it really like both funny and really fascinating is that because of the uniqueness of who she is as a person and the way she's raised that she's completely freed of giving a fuck about the mores of the time. Right. Right. So she's just going through and poking holes in everybody's bullshit because she doesn't, she either doesn't understand or doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. And is just evolving at a, a pace. What's fascinating to me about the character of the assistant and the Mark Ruffalo character, who is her first like big passionate fling she quickly outgrows them both. And we talk about whether or not this is prurient or creepy. And I imagine it all's in the eye of the beholder. Sure. But those guys clearly are attracted to her because she's childlike. It's this idea of like this almost Victorian notion of like a woman is a child who needs to be trained and disciplined. And the man does all the decisions and, you know, <laughs> they're doing everything and they want her subservient and, basically kind of stupid and yet she has ideas of her own yeah, yeah. um by the way i'm chris that's marco that's mike <laughs> yeah, we didn't introduce ourselves yeah sorry but i realized i totally forgot because i was so anxious to talk about this movie and there's so much to unpack here there's so much really smart dialogue and just yeah laugh out loud funny in oh, the yeah. most clever ways there's so many fantastic turns of phrase in this thing especially coming from either Will willem dafoe or from emma stone where you're like this is just it's like that when you you encounter one of those writers who writes things that people don't really talk that way but it's so beautiful like you know what i'm talking about like, yeah, people yeah, like no, it's, it's a diamonds coming dialogue. out of your mouth but because the whole thing is in this strange otherworldliness to it, it you never question that. We, we need to talk about that a little bit because when we start off, thing, it's in sorry. brilliant color and then quickly turns to black and white. Yeah. And then it's shot with, we saw in the favorite that Lanthimos started embracing these uh, uh, these wide angle lenses, almost fisheye lenses. Oh, he uses a lot of now fisheye lenses. But it's got a more extreme. I haven't seen that much fisheye since a Beastie Boys video. Like whole <laughs> scenes are shot with it. But then as she starts to grow and she moves away, color starts to come back into the world. And the, the image begins to stabilize a little bit. Towards the end, it comes back. And there's a very intentional reason for that. But the backgrounds of this movie, we have to talk about the ship. For yeah. example, things like that, it, it's kind of steampunky, yeah. and the effects are very artificial looking. There yes. is no intention. It, yes, it feels like a, what's his name uh, from Hugo and like a famous early. Uh, yeah, like a Melier. Melier. Yeah, yeah. Everything, but the thing is, I always feel like, okay, we've seen this trope in dozens of sci fi properties where you have the person who's grown up in a lab, they've been a test subject, they finally go out in the world, and everything is amazing to them. 
which, you know, and we're always kind of condescending about it. It's funny because like, oh, look, it's just an ice cream cone. It's a pastry. What's the big it's deal? It's just fish out of water jokes. But yeah. when you see the world through her eyes, I think it's so deliberate because we're seeing it through her eyes. And I think Lanthimos is smart to, enough to go, I have to make it look wondrous to the audience as well, rather than us sort of laughing at her. Yes. The world is definitely skewed and bizarre looking, but also wonderful. And I, that makes us identify with her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, there's a lot of really great um, production design. And, like, that, that's the one thing I think it should definitely be a shoe in for in the Oscars. <laughs> and and really, the, the, the character that Emma Stone plays, it's... <laughs> I don't want to take it so much right now. Um, you mentioned that she, you know, she just doesn't give a fuck and, and she's just a very brave character. And the reason for that, the reason why it works well is because Emma Stone is like the bravest fucking actress working today. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. This is, yeah. This yeah, is like, and she's just so fearless in this. I was talking about this with, with, uh, our friend Wright, uh, the other day. And he's like, Oh, you haven't seen her new TV show yet. I'm like, Oh, uh, the curse. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. Well, you're just saying. Totally, totally that TV show as well. <laughs> I mean, Emma Stone has been giving good performances for years, but like it kind of reminded me of like, uh, was it Isabelle Angenie in, in Possession? Yeah. Where you're just like, here is a beautiful woman who could just walk through this scene and be beautiful. And they're like, I'm going to be ugly. I'm going to be hysterical. I'm going to be emotional. I am going to put myself through the ringer and be vulnerable yeah. physically, emotionally. And you're just like, it, it's an exhausting performance not to watch. <laughs> But you just see an actor who is throwing everything at, and this. not to mention like it's, it's truly the, Oscar the choice that like she is completely naked through large swaths of this film, and that for any actress who is of that level is a really big decision to make. Yeah, it's got to be the right, really the right project to say yes to that. I and uh, yeah. and it's amazing that like even a lot of these scenes where she's naked, she's not attractive naked. She's like awkward naked. You yeah, know? It, it it's like walking in on your sister like making out with herself. And you're yeah, just like what are you doing? You always feel uncomfortable. It's not prurient. It's not erotic per se. Uh, even though it's dealing with erotic subject matter. It never feels sleazy. There's the scene in the brothel, the sequence that I thought went on a little bit too long. I kind of got it yeah. uh, after a while. But again, I don't ever think Lanthimos is just showing us tits and ass. She And I don't think Emma Stone would agree to do that if that's all this was going to be. And they've been working on this together for quite some time. Yeah. Like this predates several of the previous Lanthimos films in terms of production and with working with Emma Stone on it. He originally was working with the author who's dead now, mm -hmm. but was working with him on it who really liked what Lanthimos's ideas were, were for this, which are apparently quite different in many ways from his original book. Curious. Uh, okay. But, but you know, I mean, it's, this is such a visual movie. So, oh, yeah. uh, um, but he apparently was all about it and excited, sadly passed away, but he got to meet Emma Stone as well. And like, it so this has been on for a while on, and it was okay. one of those, like who's gonna give us the money to make this yeah. movie i mean it's a hard sell <laughs> yeah. it is a really hard sell yeah it, it's it's a movie that's gonna be really hard to pitch to like people who aren't like us who like these kind of movies that yeah i mean i think it's accessible like i said it's not like the lobster or killing of a sacred deer it's not one of those like i don't even know what's going on like it's like uh, you know, those movies are dream logic and it has like a world that has very strange, surrealistic rules to it. This isn't like that. No, it no. It isn't our world per se, but it's sort of a off adjacent. Story-wise, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's like yeah. easy to understand what's going on. Yeah. I think at the worst, people will be either put... Uh, 
feel either people were like, I feel awkward watching movies with this much sex and nudity in it, which some people I know just don't like movies that have that much sex and nudity. In sure. It. Or they'll be, they'll might be like, okay, I don't even understand some of the parts where she's discussing philosophy. Cause there are points in the last <laughs> act where it gets very philosophical and getting into sort of higher concept stuff. Like, Okay, in dialogue sense. And I think some people will be like, I don't see the appeal of that. But to me, I was like, wow, you're really watching someone start learning how to go from the, you know, it's it's the history of the evolution of man's thinking, you know, yeah. you're just like, as she goes through all these paths. Yeah. And I think it's really, really fascinating. And that combined with the idea that her just going just through pure reason no, this stuff that you expect from me is bullshit and a complete fem- very feminist argument, including the I'm going to have sex as much as I fucking want to have sex. And yeah. I don't give a shit what you think. <laughs> I mean, you're right in that it's accessible. It's why I made the comparison with something like, you know, the elephant man, because you look at a racer head before and you go, how could this guy make a coherent film that, you know, a mass market audience yeah. will enjoy? And still have all of those unique quirks that make him so interesting. Yeah. I think Lanthimos does that. And he's a he's a filmmaker and as a storyteller, he's always looking for like some kind of central metaphor, which he can use to, you know, explore these rela- I, notions about relationships and society, etc. Here, because both with the favorite and this movie, I think because it has pre-existing material, that's given him a structure and a framework that actually really works for him because he still gets to be weird as he wants but he always has that spine of a story to return to yeah and that central performance from both emma stone in both this film and the favorite for example that just keeps the audience hooked yeah uh why don't you go into your final thoughts this is really a fantastic film yeah i i did not know much about it going in i didn't even know it was based on a novel uh which I'm curious to read, uh, but now apparently yeah. it's very different. I, I only know this because a friend of mine privately messaged me and said, you got to see that movie? I'm so jealous. I've been in love with that book for 30 years. Oh, wow. You know, it's, I, I really want to see what they do with it. And it is definitely going to be unlike anything you <laughs> see this year. Will it win any Oscars? I don't know. I'm not a good prognosticator of such things. I do know that this is a great film with wonderful performances, fantastic design. We haven't even talked about how funny uh, Mark Ruffalo is. His no, his English hysterical. accent is horrible, but he's also, you've never seen him have this much fun. Yeah, he almost seems a total like, cad. He almost seems like he's an American trying to do an I was going to say the same accent. thing. Yeah, yeah, it felt like he, like someone who's really, like, is American who really loves Europe and is trying his damnedest to be as European as he can. Right, right. He, he's really like almost the secondary lead because we see him, I wouldn't say evolve, but we see him devolve because once she moves past him, grows past him all of his confidence just gets destroyed and he becomes a total wreck it's hilarious and the visuals are are sublime i mean you're not going to see anything quite like this even though it looks like it was done on a modest budget willem dafoe is fantastic everything about this is definitely worth checking out on a big screen uh, I highly recommend it if you get an opportunity to see it before it disappears from theaters. Uh, I have to give this nine out of 10 gastric bubbles. <laughs> uh, Mike. <laughs> you took mine. Um, no, I, th- th- this is a really fantastic movie. It's, it's not going to be my favorite of the year, but it's definitely up there with my favorite of Lanthimos films. 
<laughs> like it's right up there with like um killing the sacred deer uh, the, the visuals are fantastic it's it's such a you know, gorgeous gorgeous movie and also <laughs> just the performances are fearless it that that's what really stands out like this is an amazing performance from from emma stone and and seeing this character evolve from like <laughs> a, literally a child to this very like and even then as she grows up it, it's very funny how like she her grasp of, of language is like <laughs> She does very complicated phrases, but then little simple concepts still kind of stump her. <laughs> and she does that kind of that Monty Python routine where she reiterates the same word, but just different words, like as if she's going down to the source. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's a stunning movie. Go, go see it in the theater because like the, the, that's where you're really going to get your money's worth on this thing. Um, and I, I, I like it a lot. Um, and unlike most of Lance Wilson's movies, I would be willing to watch this again. Um, I really had to think about that for a while, because I'm like, this was very uncomfortable, but the more I thought about it, it just, it, it was difficult to get out of my head. <laughs> um, I'm, but, uh, probably not as loved it with as you guys are, but I do like it a lot. I'm gonna give it eight and a half out of ten, uh, animal hybrids. I can't wait to see this again. Uh, there is so, there was so much to unpack from this that I felt incapable of doing the review after we initially saw it. I was like, I just, I need more time to think about this movie. You also wanted to go it. drink, which we did. Well, we would, we would have gone drank at while doing the review to be fair. So like, uh, <laughs> no, no, but yeah, no, I remember, I remember you saying to me, I have a lot to unpack about yeah. this. Yeah, a lot. Uh, and there really is. And I still don't, feel like i'm talking about anywhere near as eloquently as this movie deserves there's so much that i feel like i probably missed here and i would i would watch i would love to watch some really good film critics who are in love with this as i am just sit and discuss the whole movie for like two hours yeah you know i i really think it's a major work of art it's a major step forward for lanthimos in his career i mean i do i love his previous films but this is a big step forward for him as a director uh he continues to evolve just like emma stone (laughs) and i think he's quickly turning into or is one of the most interesting people working in film today. Um, I, I love the hell out of this. Um, I'm going to recommend it to all my weirdest friends. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I am definitely going to give it a 10 out of 10. Insanely great costumes that Emma Stone gets to wear. Yeah. yeah. As we didn't when even she mention wears anything. That. Yeah. When she's wearing anything, she's wearing really, and the movie, her costumes evolve with her as well. Yeah. In the movie, they get, progressively more bizarre as the movie oh, goes oh, on. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, it, if anything, this movie's, it, it, it's bound to sweep the Oscars for, like, the production design and, and costumes and makeup. Like, it has to. I, I, mean, I mean, I don't know if it'll sweep, but I do want to just throw out, I don't know the name of the composer, but I really enjoyed the score for oh, this film. yeah. Which it is was really weird. Jerskin Fendix. Yeah. Uh, who was uh, apparently... Uh, in bands like Black Midi and Black Country New Road. It's like he's one of those one of those music scenes that's entirely surrounding a small pub in England. <laughs> it's a very interesting score, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um there's almost no detail of this that I don't that I feel like isn't worth exploring deeper right. like like i said we could talk about any aspect of it and go oh yeah that was fascinating too yeah, and and i'm very proud of ourselves for not revealing some of the bigger secrets of the film or even really the last <laughs> third of it i mean there's so much to unpack if if you feel like well those guys have said enough about the movie i'm not interested there's so much more yeah we're not telling I, there's you. something i want to discuss but the thing is like i i wanted to wait until you guys brought up because i didn't know if it was like yeah no i think we've like already <laughs> We've already Don't given tell them away. about the post-credit scene. We've already uh, yeah. Samuel Jackson is not going to show up. <laughs> We've already given away enough where some no, people Sa- are going to be like Jackson that was more up, than but, I wanted um, to know. But Benedict Cumberbatch not show up as Doctor Strange though. Uh, shush. <laughs> 
Christopher Abbott shows up as an asshole. That's about all I'll say. <laughs>